Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Hi, my name's Julian Leach. I'm co-founder and CEO at Parcel Point, and my Friday would not be complete without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Hi, uh, Maxime Leformula, founder and CEO of City Relay. I began my career as an equity trader at Morgan Stanley, where I stayed for about three and a half years. My role at Morgan Stanley was a great intro to work. It also, I also made great contacts in the industry. However, I always wanted to become an entrepreneur and start my own business. My first step as an entrepreneur was a personal dating platform called Personal Dating Agent. Uh, it delivered dating services for people who value their time. It didn't work out. I oversaw that for almost a year before I switched and went into property. I then founded FG Properties in 2012, which three years later became City Relay. Uh, if I was to give one piece of advice to any starting entrepreneurs, it would be to not try and do everything yourself. Don't be afraid to outsource to make sure you are focusing on your core objectives. Outsourcing may seem more expensive at first, but in the long run, it can deliver quality to your company that you would never be able to achieve on your own. You can then focus on what's important for your company and see what, what you're trying to achieve. I speak from personal experience as at the beginning of City Relay, we tried to do all the laundering of the linens ourselves. We even bought professional washing machines, we bought our dryers, we bought ironing rolls. However, in the end, it just wasn't worth the hassle at the time. Since the decision to outsource that aspect of the business, we've not only increased the quality of the service, but we have more time to spend on creative ways to grow and expand our business. Uh, second piece of advice, just don't overthink things. Just try small tests. You never know where your idea will take you. Good luck. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. These countries and the massive corporations that serve them, they've got a vested interest in things staying the same. How are you going to convince them that you're right? So I don't think it's going to be us persuading them. I think the world is already persuading itself. Hello and welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. My next guest, Eirik I.D. Pettersson, is a recently named Forbes 30 Under 30. Oh, and he's also the co-founder of a new type of nuclear reactor. Seaborg Technologies aims to make nuclear an inexpensive, sustainable and safe technology that can outcompete fossil fuels and revolutionise energy markets. Eirik I.D. Pettersson isn't just out to change the world, he could help us save it. Put the cat out. Take the phone off the hook. It's Friday. I'm Kizzy, and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. From the Business Game Changer Studios, welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host, Kizzy Inquacha. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine, editor of the successful Woman in Business book series, and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Now meet your host, your mentor, and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Inquacha. Welcome to the show. Picture this. The year is 2014. Barack Obama is still president and people under 50 are still using Facebook. Remember then? In a Copenhagen cellar, 
three physicists are sipping beer and discussing existential threats to the planet. This soon evolves into a group of volunteers committed to solving the climate crisis. Today the volunteers are Seaborg employees and the company has grown to become a leading nuclear reactor startup. Today I'm talking to Seaborg Technologies co-founder Eirik I.D. Pettersson. Eirik, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know I said in my intro that you and a few friends were sitting around in the cellar um, drinking beer and talking about the future of the world. But tell me in your own words, how did Seaborg come about? Seaborg came about, well, I mean, you're, you're on to the right story, definitely. Um, it really was a lot of physicists that were uh, brewing a lot of beer and discussing existential threats uh, at the same time. Now, you know, physicists, they have a tendency not only to talk and discuss about these sort of things, but there is some sort of, uh, you know, persuasive feeling that these problems are there to be solved as well. Um, and, um, and what happened with Seaborg was that uh, these physicists really did try to go out of their way trying to solve this problem, primarily through academia to begin with, but there is a bit of a complicated relationship to nuclear energy in, in Denmark. So Denmark in 1985 decided not to pursue it at all. So it was also complicated to pursue this academically to begin with. And uh, as a result of that, in order to really try to solve this problem, there wasn't any other option than to form a company and try to do it as a business. And, um, and that's really what started and uh, what turned into what we are today. So let's see if I've got this right, Eirik. Um, over at Seaborg, you're building a different kind of nuclear reactor, something you call a, where's my notes, uh, a compact molten salt reactor. And, and with it, you're hoping to build a nuclear power plant that's incapable of melting down. It can recycle nuclear waste and it can't be used for weapons technology. Now, Eirik, I predict resistance on a biblical scale. I mean, the USA alone is responsible for, what, 20% of all global fossil fuels, followed by Russia and perhaps Iran. Now, these countries and the massive corporations that serve them, they've got a vested interest in things staying the same. How are you going to convince them that you're right? I, so I don't think it's going to be us persuading them. I think the world is already persuading itself um, that, we, uh, that, that we're facing a, a challenge, right? And... That's the thing with, with climate change and with global warming. So um, it, it's not a simple challenge to overcome and it's multifaceted, right? Because on, on one hand today, we're emitting too much CO2. We have too much CO2 in the atmosphere. At least we have more than what we've ever had before. And at the same time, 80% of our global energy today comes from fossil fuel sources. Of course, that's a massive industry, right? They have to overcome. Um, but at the same time, if we don't do anything about that, we're, we're headed towards a precipice, right? And an increasing amount of people are seeing that. Now, so that's one side of climate change. The other side of climate change has to do with global uh, equity or equality, right? Because uh, in the Western world today, we're using almost all the electricity um, and energy that we're using in the world. There's um, around 1 billion people that are without access to electricity today uh, and about 3 billion people that are without access to reliable electricity. So how on earth do we help these people decarbonize while at the same time 
um, reducing our, our CO2 emissions and really uh, stopping uh, the amount of CO2 uh, increase that we see in the atmosphere today. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to pursue this, right? There's a lot of talk about uh, renewables, so uh, wind and solar and, uh, and hydro as well. And these are sources that we are pursuing today and that we should be pursuing as much as we can. But then there are some parts of the planet where that's just difficult. We have a massive region in Southeast Asia that has the monsoon season. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced the monsoon season, but you know, at least if you've seen it on TV or something, it's all this rain, right? It's rain, uh, it rains for a couple of months and it all comes straight down, right? So there's not a lot of sun and there's not a lot of wind at the same time. So what can these people do? And the way that um, we see it, there are basically three options for people living in Southeast Asia today. Number one, they can remain poor and not develop, which is a bit of a, it's not the most fun. And number two, they can burn fossil fuels, which is primarily what they're doing today. Indonesia today is the second greatest producer of coal after China. And or number three, they can use other sources of energy that don't emit uh, CO2 emissions. And one of those uh, sources of energy, obviously, is nuclear energy. Nuclear energy, you can turn it up and you can turn it down when you need it, and you can supply fuels um, so that you don't rely on, on the winds and, and sun, uh, the weather, the whims of the weather. Now, uh, the thing with nuclear energy is that it, it also has some, some challenges, right? Conventional nuclear energy today is, is really quite safe. There's not a lot of accidents. The problem is when these accidents occur, it becomes very severe, right? We've, we've seen some of them in the past. The latest one was in Fukushima, where a lot of people have to move away from the place where they've grown up. And even today, they're not allowed to, to move back again. So that's a that's a massive challenge to deal with, uh, both for the Japanese state, but imagine if this power plant was on the, on the border between two countries, it would be a you know, geopolitical nightmare. Um, so what we're trying to do uh, with pursuing this uh, compact molten salt reactor is trying to change the way that we're approaching nuclear safety today. So what we've done with conventional nuclear is to make it very unlikely, very improbable that we ever have any accidents. We've done that by adding a lot of engineered safety features around this nuclear power plant that happens to balloon the price a lot, makes it very expensive, very complicated to produce nuclear power plants today. And that also gives you a massive incentive um, to keep it operating for as much as you can, and also to build them really, really big. This is an economy of scale. Now, with molten salts, we're trying to alleviate that. We're trying to ensure safety, not by complex and expensive engineered safety solutions, but instead by utilizing the laws of physics and, and chemistry. Uh, and one of the most important features of molten salt reactors is the fact that it, it uses this salt as the, the fuel itself. It's a, it's a liquid, so the salt, when you heat it up to about 500 degrees Celsius, it melts, and then you can dissolve these fissile nuclei into that. That means you're not in need of pressurizing anything. 
So you don't have any dispersive force that's sort of acting to spread uh, radioactive material out from your reactor. Um, but even more importantly, these um, salts, they actually chemically bind the radioactive products that are being produced so that even if you had some you know, crazy accident, some meteor crashing or a, or, or a, a terrorist uh, attack where you would be spreading nuclear fuel outside of the power plant, um, it, uh, it would still be bound to this salt. And when this salt cools down, it solidifies, it turns sort of into rock. It not, does not react with the atmosphere, does not really dissolve into water either. So you kind of have these radioactive rocks lying around your site perimeter. Uh, and that's, of course, serious, and it's something that you need to clean up. But it's not a geopolitical problem to do so. I hear you. So it wouldn't be a disaster on epic levels. Um, so we can agree that the science is sound. But walk me through the process, Eric. How does this work? Because I'm, I've got this vision of you and your friends sitting around in a bar talking about the problems of the world because of global warming. And unlike most people who may decide to then, I don't know, write to their local newspaper, their local MP, you decide that you're going to build a nuclear power plant. How does this work? How do you build a nuclear power plant? For a start, it's got to be really expensive. So we're, we're not going to be building uh, the entire nuclear power plant ourselves. So after all, um, a lot of the co-founders in Seaborgs are, are physicists uh, and chemists as well. And our expertise uh, really is on the um, reactor core itself, sort of the core technology. You have to imagine this core technology as being sort of the heart of this big industrial plant uh, around it that's producing energy. And our focus really is on, um, on this heart of the plant, right? If there's anything that uh, successful entrepreneurs will tell you, it's to keep your focus and not try to do everything yourself. So a lot of what we're doing today is, is actually building those strategic partnerships, uh, setting up the supply chain around us so that we can deliver our component and have someone else put everything together into a plant. In that way, what we're trying to do is to emulate a little bit the success of another uh, massive Danish energy adventure, which is this uh, company, uh, you might have heard about it, called Vestas. They do wind turbines. And their business strategy today, um, and for a long time, has been to produce a particular component of this wind turbine and then have someone else set up everything around it okay that makes so, perfect sense yeah i get that um right tell me about your earlier days because um from what you're saying you're, you're going to be forming strategic partnerships with people who will help you with the, the funding and hopefully with the marketing and all the other things while you focus on the science and, and making things work but what were the early challenges you found when setting up seaborg and how did you overcome them there was a lot of work in the beginning, and there still is a lot of work to find the funding for this kind of project. Um, after all, we're, we're still a startup company, so we rely on external funding to keep us going. But we're not obviously your um, you know, normal app, um, computer code startup company, right? We have different requirements, and we have a much, much longer time frame than most investors are used to. So initially, that was clearly um, 
a challenge to try to make investors that are usually uh, accustomed to investing in things with a shorter return on investment in something with a very long uh, return on investment. And also with a lot of risks, right? We're not this kind of company where you can come in and put a lot of money and expect it to be doubled in two or three years time with a minimal uh, risk. There are a lot of things that we have to figure out, technical, uh, regulatory. Sure, you can imagine there's a, a lot to be done regulatory to build and commercialize and deploy a new nuclear uh, technology today. Um, so the, the profile really is quite unusual for most investors. It's interesting to hear you say that because I'd imagine then that you'd have to be quite particular about the type of investor you have on board, um, investors who are looking more towards a long-term future rather than a short-term goal. Definitely, definitely. We've been extremely lucky though. We have been able to attract some of really, really cool um, so. Uh, entrepreneurs themselves, as well as some venture capitalists with the required long time frame, and that really can see uh, the potential of this technology, right? Because if there is one thing that we have going for us, um, we're, a, we're a bit of a moonshot, right? In almost in the true sense of the world, word. It's, um, it's a long time frame. There's a lot of uh, things that can go wrong, but when we do it, we're actually putting a man on the moon, right? How cool or how big of a, um, a potential return on investment does that not have? That sounds truly amazing. You're not just going to be changing the world, you're also going to be saving it. But hold that thought, Arik. We're just going to take a quick music break and come back to our conversation in just a few minutes. This week's incredibly talented entrepreneur, this week's boss star, are Francisca Iselli and Crystal Hall. I hope I've pronounced that right. Francisca Iselli and Crystal Hall, who are founders of BasicBananas.com. Now, Francisca and Crystal are highly sought-after entrepreneurs, popular speakers, mad adventurers, authors and the founders of a few successful businesses, including BasicBananas.com, Australia's largest marketing education organization with workshops across the globe. But when Francisca and Crystal aren't shaking things up in the boardroom, they're thrilling audiences worldwide with their incredible band, Salty Lips. Here are Francisca and Crystal, aka Salty Lips, performing Rancho de la Luna. Take it away, girls. Oh, my heart. 
the world famous game changer show game changer show game changer show Hi, my name's Julian Leach. I'm co-founder and CEO at Parcel Point, and my Friday would not be complete without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Rancho de la Luna, here I am. Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Francisca Iselli and Crystal Hall, founders of BasicBananas.com, and their band, Sorty Lips, performing Rancho de la Luna. I'm in the studio talking to Seaborg Technologies co-founder, Eirik I.D. Pettersson. Now, Eirik, before the break, we were talking about getting this incredible idea of yours off the ground. What would you say was the one strategy that's helped you grow your business? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think, um, I think for us, from an early point, it's been extremely uh, important to be honest about the uh, thing that we're working on. So there are different approaches when trying to, to raise capital or, or in general speaking with stakeholders within an industry um, that you're trying to, to work with, where you can sort of embellish a little bit the facts and you can say that, you know, it's not that long until we're, we have this thing up and running. Uh, there's not that many technical barriers and challenges to overcome. Um, and it's really not as risky as it looks like. Mm. For us, we took an, an early decision to be completely honest with, with people that were interested uh, and told them that there is a long uh, time scale, right? There are these technological risks that we have to overcome and there are these regulatory risks that we have to overcome. We have to figure out how to license a new nuclear reactor, something that no one has done you know, for a very very long time. Um, so this is not going to be something that you can just write or be a part of for a couple of years and then exit again with a sizable return of investment. This really is going to be a long-term project. Um, however, what we can promise is that it will be an extremely exciting journey um, that has some of the highest impact you can possibly imagine and that really, really makes sense, right? Uh, there's a couple of problems that we as humanity needs to solve. Some of them can be solved by, by new business models and apps and, and whatnot, right? But if you'd ask someone today, if you'd go and ask uh, your, your daughter or something like that, if you have one, um, what the greatest challenge that human civilization is facing today, I think there's a sizable chance that they would be saying, global warming and climate change. So to get to work with that, something that we've found a lot of people uh, are interested in. I can see why, because it's not just the future of a business that's at stake here, it's the future of the species of mankind. Um, but talking about futures, let's go back to the past, Eric. Um, what would you say was one of the failures that's really taught you a lesson? What, what did you learn from your failure and how did you recover from it? It's another 
really, really good question um, that I, I find really hard to answer because we have, we've made a lot of mistakes. We've um, pursued a lot of things that, that turned out not to be uh, the right thing to do. Um, and I think particularly since what we're doing is such a large endeavor, um, massively ambitious and something that really hasn't been done before, it, it means as well that we are going to make a lot of um, decisions and we are going to pursue things that just simply aren't going to work, right? Uh, if anything, what we're trying to do in Seaborg and the um, mentality that we're trying to, to, to follow and imprint on, on all the people at Worker is really not to be afraid to fail, right? To be willing to take chances, to put yourself in a position where you could be lucky. I mean, there's nothing uh, such as luck. At least luck is not going to carry us all the way there. But at least we can position ourselves so that, you know, if there was such a thing as luck, then, or if you're standing below a tree, then maybe that apple will fall into your basket. Um, so if, if anything, our approach to failing is we should try to fail as quickly as possible, right? If there is something that we can see it will take a very long time to figure out if this is the correct decision or not, then we really have to consider if this is worth pursuing. But if it is something where we can fairly quickly figure out if this makes sense or not, we're going to go full steam ahead on that and fail as quickly as we can. And if we're not able to fail, if we cannot kill this idea or this innovation or uh, whatever it is we're pursuing, well, then we can put ourselves uh, in that position where we want to be in. I've got to say that as you're speaking, I've got goosebumps running up and down my arm, Eric. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this man is so right. Fell fast, fell forward, get the job done. I've got a feeling that we could talk for hours and hours at a time, but I know that you haven't got that sort of time. So I just want to say, um, Eric, entrepreneurs like you, game changers like you are exactly the type of people that change the world. And I'd like us to stay in touch and maybe we can come back to you in maybe six months or so to find out how you're getting on because I've got a feeling that you are going to change the world and I want to be there when that happens. But until then, thank you so much for spending time with us, Eric. Really, really enjoy talking to you. Thank you, Kizzy, and thank you for the really nice words. You are more than welcome, Eirik. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, the short time I've spent with Eirik has left me contemplative and, and eager to see what's over the horizon for us as a species. Eirik reminds me of something that Rob Sultanen once said. Rob said, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because people like Eirik, they change things. They push the human race forward and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we game changers, we entrepreneurs, we see them as genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world, they're the ones who do. Listen, learn, and innovate. Playing us out is Annie Kiko, the creator of True Voice Global, and this incredible track's called Live Wire. See you next week.
Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for Life, and I love listening to Kiz's Business Game Changer podcast.